So we're looking back. Uh, we're going to look back today uh, in general, looking back in this whole series that we're in. Um, but to start today, if we look back kind of post-enlightenment, uh, post-industrial revolution in Victorian England, so this is really late um, 1800s, very early 1900s, there became a point at which bright young students were actually being discouraged to enter into subjects like math and science and engineering because the world was progressing at such a rate that they figured by the time you graduate, everything there is to know will already be known. So you might, not, you might as well not continue to pursue these things because we are so close to figuring it all out. Can you believe that? It's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around because I can like go hang out with Google for a day and type in anything. And like, you just, like in a lifetime, I don't know if you can learn enough stuff just by using Google. And they thought they were nearing like the end of knowing all things. And then their life started to change. They started to pull away or enter in areas because what's it worth? And the fundamental error here was to assume that achievement and knowledge is finite, that there's a limit to it, that there there is an end point. Now that we know so much, we must be getting close to knowing it all. Now, a few of you in the room might think you know it all. Uh, I know certain periods of my life, I've definitely thought I knew it all. Late teens, like I think ignorance... uh, really was only met uh, by just blissfulness in, in that sense. Like, I really did not know how much I did not know. Um, but I wonder how many of us actually have a similar overconfidence in human achievement. That if I achieve all I can, I will reach the next purpose in life for me. Like, if I can pick up and drop Bitcoin or Dogecoin or Shiba or, you know, whichever one's trending right now, if I can do that spot on at the right timing, I will have complete control over comfort around my finances. If I can just perfect the algorithm around swiping left and swiping right, I can find significance and worth in romance. If, if I can get that next certificate or, or achieve the next promotion, I can finally walk into a room with popularity and status. Now, here's the deal. I don't think anything that, that we can put our time to, our effort to, our energy to, I don't think any of it's inherently bad. But how may you be seeking your ultimate meaning and purpose in those things? Where you're trying to gain everything that you can in your own power. And is it attached to popularity, to more money, to more comfort, to more love, to more intelligence, on and on and on. And then, is that all there is to life? Right? Once, once you hit that point, it's fine, I, I'm good, I've achieved it, I've done it. Is that, is that all that there is to life? Now, whether you grew up in a Sunday school or, you know, you're a normal person growing up that watched HBO, um, at some point, you knew that Christmas was about baby Jesus. It was about family, it's about giving, but it's also the, the birth of Jesus. Um, we don't need to get the date thing, but that's what we're celebrating. 
So during this series, we're going to go even further back than that. So not just 2,000 years ago, but even further back. And because we want to explore the ancient narratives that, that though they are so old and probably counter human achievement and progress, they foretold Jesus's birth. They foretold things that were going to happen thousands of years later. They, they foretold things that will continue to happen even today. And we'll find that what's most old is at the same time most new. And the hope is that what's most ancient actually points us towards the future. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in 11 verses 1 and 2, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So in the midst of of national turmoil, as the Assyrian army was moving in on the Israelites and they were near death, everything that they hoped for and promised in being the people of God was about to get snatched up any moment. And Isaiah comes in and he gives hope. He talks about the root of Jesse, essentially moving backwards in the Davidic line, really saying the root of a nobody. It will sprout up. And it will be these things. And he's, he's giving hope, but it wasn't timely hope. And he was giving hope, but it probably wasn't the person that they had hoped for. See, what's interesting about this is, as you hear this, you hear this list. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He'll have wisdom and understanding, counsel and power, knowledge and fear of the Lord. Like, this is going to be an important person. This is, this is a person that can sway the political climate. This is the, the person that can actually take over power and then use that power for a different group of people. This is a, a person that they're looking to that will change their circumstances, that everything that they're hoping for that they cannot have in their oppression, their distance from God, they will then get. And they hope that Jesus is going to be certain things for them. <laughs> the most wise, the most gifted, the most intelligent, popular person was being prophesied. And that's what people expected. What's interesting in this is that still the most popular, powerful, intelligent, gifted, wise person came. But the criteria for measuring that was very different. And I wonder how much of us today still are looking for certain criteria in the person of Jesus. In, in what we hope for, and what that could mean for my life, and the good things that can happen, and, and the way in which I can find upward mobility, and it means that I will be able to avoid pain and discomfort, and that I can continue to get my way in things. How will the coming of Jesus change my life for the better? And then he continues, 11.3, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or describe by what he hears with his ears. To drive this point home a little bit more, as they, as they looked for a conquering king that was going to fight on their behalf, a carpenter shows up. 
And not only is he a carpenter, but he's the son of a carpenter. And, and most would say that, I mean, I, I think about Carpenter, I think about some of you, uh, LJ and Andrew and Holly and Wesley and probably, like, they, they do carpentry and woodworking and Tom and Cindy, and like, I think about all of you, you, you guys do like some really good stuff. Like, this is like custom cabinets and like things that people want to hang on their wall, and like, this is some really good stuff. What's interesting about the word carpenter, like, that's where I go. But you know what else? Like, Carpenter pretty generally was also kind of just like a handyman. That, that, that changes it a little bit for me. When I think about fine carpentry and nice cabinets being installed, to the one that's like climbing under the sink and tightening some things on like a leaky faucet. So most would say that he wasn't just the fine carpenter, but he was a handyman. He was a tradesman. He was a, a general contractor in certain ways. He did not come from nobility. He did not come from power. He did, he did not come and actually have the influence that we all hope he had. That, that he would come and change things the way that we see them, the way that we need the world to be, that he would end up doing that on our behalf. He was not wise from a high intellectual reading. He was not popular or prestigious. He was not knowledgeable in regard to political savvy. So how did he change the world? How, how, how did he change the way in which we now, whether you see Jesus as a savior or not, your life has been influenced by the person of Jesus? Just figure like if you're celebrating Christmas or not. <laughs> like we are influenced by the life of Jesus. The way we look at our calendars. What's interesting in these verses, and actually if we back up to 11, 1 to 2, this idea here, let's go one more back, sorry. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. That reading changes it a little bit, doesn't it? The, the spirit of these things is now on him. The, the, the spirit of all the things that can change the rest of humanity, whether for good or bad, we know a lot of people in power who have wisdom and can use it negatively, but think about this, someone who actually uses power for good, the amount of wisdom and understanding, the counsel and of might and knowledge of fear of the Lord. That is something that will change the world. That is something that will change your and I's life. But is it Jesus or is it the spirit of God that is on and in Jesus? Little, little tiny distinctions that I think make a difference. Because then what I do is I ask, how many times am I pursuing wisdom and understanding, counsel and might and knowledge? How many times am I pursuing that in my life for my benefit? How, how am I trying to pursue those things so that I can show up in a room with some form of status and likability? How, how can I gain these things so that I can continue to push comfort in my life and control over things and, and have an idea of what the future looks like? That, that I can be blessed to say. How many times can we go and pursue all these things and miss the Spirit of the Lord? Right? Because knowledge and wisdom and understanding and counsel and mind, none of these are bad things. For our leader retreat a couple weekends ago, the theme verse was from Zechariah, and they're rebuilding the temple, and Zechariah the prophet goes and tells them from God that it, it is not by power or might that this will be achieved, but it is by my Spirit. 
And, and ultimately, not only is, what Isaiah, is, is he pointing to who Jesus is to be, it's also pointing to how Jesus operates, and then it moves here. In John, Jesus says these words. John has been hanging out with his disciples for some time. They're doing some amazing things. The disciples are like so confused on what's going on. They think it's for them, but it's not, but it is kind of for them. And, you know, they're all over the place. And then Jesus basically is like, all right, peace out. I've, I've done my time. You guys just keep going with this. And like, wait, no, that doesn't, you can't do that. Um, so they're having this whole dialogue. And then Jesus says this in John 16, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Did you ever, you have that person in your life maybe who, you know, it's a grandparent, it's a, it's a parent, it, it's, it's someone that though they may have passed, there was like this, this little bit of wisdom that still kind of stuck with you. Right? You, you, have, you have different sayings. I think one I heard my mom you know, oftentimes saying about, for her mom would say, it's kind of like that let bygones be bygones idea. Right? That's, that's something that was like a wisdom that continued into my mom's voice and, and ethos that was from someone else. And, and essentially what Jesus is saying is that, 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 that I will continue to be with you, but it looks very different. My knowledge, my power, my, my understanding, my wisdom will be yours, can be yours through the Holy Spirit, just as we see it operate with Jesus. And I think there's an invitation in this, that Jesus, this last verse, we go back to Isaiah 11, 3, Uh, next one, yep, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. And the rest of this verse moves into how he is going to work out justice and righteousness and how peace is going to be brought. And what happens here is that it's saying he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, meaning that he is listening to something else. He is seeing through a different lens than his own. And I know for me when it comes to achievement and knowledge, How often am I actually hearing with different ears or seeing with different eyes other than my own? The the invitation, I think, what Jesus is doing as as Isaiah looks forward to Jesus and then Jesus invites to the same thing, they're inviting us to be people of eternity. They're they're, they're inviting us to be people of forever. I, I, I know you view success this way right now. I, I know you have this worldview of how things should work out right now. I know you see that this should be is what's best for you right now. I know that's how you see it right now, but what if you looked at it from an eternal perspective? What, what if you looked at it from an, a forever perspective, and then how would that change how you live today? The things that you're stressed about, the things that keep you up at night, the things that bring discord into relationship because of the things that you want and that you're desiring, and again, those things aren't all bad things but are they of the Spirit of God? Have we actually paused in our life and the things that we want and said, God, what are you up to in this? God, I know I don't want this to be by my might or my power. May it be by your Spirit. How is the Spirit of God guiding your life in wisdom right now? How are you allowing the Spirit of God to guide you in knowledge? 
See, I think a part of this, when I think about achievement and, and knowledge and, and intellect and, and, and gaining for ourselves, I think about this new world of influencers. And when everyone is looking to be an influencer, God is looking for anyone who wants to be influenced. One more time in full. When everyone is looking to be an influencer, God is looking for anyone who wants to be influenced. Influence is is what I want. The the way that I want to push my narrative into the world, into my relationships, into my my well-being, into my success, into my ego, into my status. This this is the, the, the thing that I'm working out when it's coming from self. Influence can be a good thing. I think leadership is influence. But when it's from me, it is not whole and pure and good and loving and kind. It is not patient. It is not self-controlled. But when I actually spend time being willing to be influenced by God, Letting him rewrite my desires, letting him rewrite what it looks like to be successful, looking, letting him rewrite the way it looks for me to have knowledge, things start to be a little bit more good, a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more caring, a little bit more loving, a little bit more patient. When everyone is looking to be an influencer, God is looking for anyone who wants to be influenced. So the question for us this morning, are we spending our days trying to be people of influence? Or are we spending our days open to being influenced by God? And this is what starts to play out. And then we're going to go in a time of reflection. Paul writes in Galatians, he picks up on some of this. And he says this in 517, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. So the things that you naturally want the things of how we see success and status and achievement and, and knowledge in the world, it is counter to the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is contrary to that flesh. And he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's kindness, it's forbearance, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. It's a little bit different, isn't it? I don't wake up naturally with self-control. I don't, I don't just wake up naturally loving. There's parts sometimes. But the, but the time when I'm actually present to people in these ways, it's when I am more open to the Spirit of God to rewrite the narrative of my day, to rewrite the narrative of what it means to pastor, to rewrite the narrative of what it means to be a husband and a father, to be a friend, to live in a community, actually let God have his way in my life. Because Jesus clearly did not come to help me become more intelligent. Intelligent. can't even say the word right when I try to say intelligent. Not to help everyone fall in love. Not more money, not more popularity. But he did come to help us become beautiful and good from the inside out. And is that not what our world is so craving. We have so much knowledge and intellect, and, we have so many, and I'm so thankful for it. There's so many good things. But could you imagine, 100 years ago, they look forward and see how far we've progressed. But how has society progressed overall? How has humanity progressed overall? How has the brokenness been healed? 
Rather than popularity, what would it look like to grow in patience? Rather than comfort, we grow in courage. Rather than knowledge, kindness. Rather than success, self-control. Rather than being flawless, we become forgiving. Rather than high achieving, we're honest. And like, aren't these the people that you want to hang out with? Aren't these the people that you want to show up at a Christmas party with? You know, it's, I mean, there's so many, like you think about the old person who like can't dress well, and no, no one's in trouble here, by the way, I'm thinking real old, but like can't dress well and like can never silence their phone in time. Like there's that person and you're just like, how? And like, it's there, but then you're like, but they're the most patient and encouraging person you've ever met in your life. And that is so desirable. Or it's the, the father that you had or maybe didn't have, but, but longed to have. Lame jokes, pretty simple, but works hard. But he's gentle and unhurried. Or the friend, can't pay for your coffee. Life is always maybe a little bit frazzled and you're not really sure what their next move is. But they see value in other people and they keep their word. So who do you want to be at the Christmas party this year? At your family gatherings, who are you becoming? So this last scripture, and then we're going to pass something out. It, it, Isaiah ends up with just saying this in 11.9, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Ultimately, what's going on here? is this knowledge of the Lord, the same knowledge that Jesus has of the Lord, the same knowledge that he is empowered by, it's, it's not a knowing, but a knowing. You know, we think about knowledge as reading more and understanding more and having more answers, but it's actually an intimacy with. It's, it's a relationship. It's knowing and being known. This is the knowledge of the Lord that they're talking about. And what comes in Jesus is that this knowledge this being more open to love and beauty and goodness and all the things that come by the Spirit are eventually what will cover the sea. Eventually, all hope, all joy, all peace, all faith, all love, it will come to a culmination. And right now we sit in the in-between. It is breaking in. It is coming. There are moments we have access to it. But it's not fully here. And the way we grow in that is by being open to God's Spirit. So what we're going to do right now, I'm going to invite, I think, Bethany up, um, and then we're going to pass out some cards to everybody. Um, is that happening? Can we do that? Um, and this is what we're going to do. You're going to have a handful of minutes um, in this vague, broad stroke of a talk, and you're going to respond. And what this is going to look like, just over some light music in the background, is you're going to sit and reflect. And... I want you to ask God, like ask the Spirit of God in this moment, what are the ways in which you might be obsessing about this world? What are the ways in which you are seeking just control and achievement and knowledge at all costs because it's for you? What are the ways in which you are stressed and overwhelmed because you are holding on tightly? This kind of goes back into last Sunday's message, the idea of a closed fist and an open hand. I want you to reflect on that, and then you're going to write a response. What stands out? What's the thing that God highlights for you? That's on one side of the card that has the number one in the question. And then spend a few minutes on the other side, 
What area do you want to grow in if you're releasing some of that? What do you, what do you feel like God calling you to? What is he calling you to grow in? If his spirit is to be a part of your life, how are you growing in the fruits of the spirit? What area do you want to grow in? And then what you're going to do after you fill that out is you're going to put it on the envelope and you're going to write your address on there, legibly. And then we're going to mail it back to you in about a week. So you're going to get your own letter right back to you. We're not going to read them. Um, But so take a few minutes respond to the cards. We don't have forever. Write the address, seal it, and then we'll pass them to the end in the minute. And then we're going to go into a time of prayer together in a final song. So take some time asking God's Spirit to identify the answers to those questions and write them in. And I'll be back up in a few minutes.